0: Ryan Gosling.
1: Ryan Gosling.
0: Who is Canadian? Barbie and Ken. Canada for the win. Barbie and Ken are going to Monaco. Hello, everybody. I'm Christina. And I'm Caroline. You're listening to Gravel Trap F1. The circus was in Austria this weekend.
2: And the Red Bull Ring tested our drivers to the limit. Yes, track limits to be specific. So in today's Formation Lap, we take a close look at the track limit regulations.
0: In the Grand Prix, we learn a little about the history of this track, as well as the tragic events in Belgium over the weekend.
2: At the Checkered Flag, Buck joins us for a discussion about the state of motorsport in
0: pop culture. Lights. camera.
2: Action. All right. So we just had the Austrian GP and it's just going to be known as the track limits. Grand Prix because honestly, forever what and else ever. happened?
0: I could not tell you. I can tell you they <laughs> went over the line, but nothing else. Many, many, many times. Not once, so not twice. Much. I think before the race wasn't it like 47 times pre yes, the actual race on Sunday.
2: Yeah, 47 during qualifying track limits infractions. Like crazy. It was also just how unpunctual all of these penalties were. Like that was honestly the the hardest hitting part of it was that you got penalties and you got warnings for it laps afterwards. Definitely Definitely tragic. And if it wasn't obvious, because we haven't done a topic sentence, but today for the Formation lap, we're going to be talking about track limits, what they are, what's the procedure when they happen, and what the heck happened for this Austrian Grand Prix. So let's, let's get into the nitty gritty regulations of it, like right off the bat. So the rules are, you exceed the track limits, that's whenever you go over the white line that's right next to the track with all four of your tires. The official regulation, article 33.3, drivers must make every reasonable effort to use the track at all times and may not leave the track without a justifiable reason. And tragically for Hamilton, having a shit car is not a justifiable reason <laughs> for leaving <laughs> the track. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry
0: even though he tried
2: to claim that it was (laughs) sorry that's just that is what it is for you today man it just is and then the article continues to say drivers will be judged to have left the track if no part of the car remains in contact with it and for the avoidance of doubt any white lines defining the edge of the track are considered to be part of the track but curbs are not so again You go over the white line, all four tires, you're done, you're cooked. You get two official warnings. So you get to go over twice with, hey, watch it. The third time is when you get the white and black flag, that diagonal slice across the middle, 50-50 pizza slices of white and black. And then after that, for the fourth time, you go over the line, you get your five second penalty. Then you go over it a fifth time, You get the 10 second penalty which that's a jump in my mind of just seriously that's a big you don't even build up to the you don't build up to the 10 second penalty you're just like ah sorry too bad and then after that there's a reset so after Ah. the 10 second five your counter goes down to zero so then you're back at the start of two warnings third flag fourth five second five ten seconds so esteban Ocon when he got his 510, 510 for a total of 30 seconds of infractions. He went over the line. I think the count would have been 11 times.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: 11 or 12 times, something like that. Yeah.
0: That's terrible. New record. Congrats, oh
2: Esteban. The big question I keep getting for every, from everybody is just why was it so bad this weekend? Mm-hmm. Because realistically, I've, I've heard estimates that it's most likely not that all of a sudden they're going off of the track more often than they did in previous years. Because this has always been a characteristic thing of the Red Bull ring, is that there have been track limit issues at these corners. But this year, they just have more people that they've hired to watch those areas. So they're able Mm -hmm. to give out more penalties. And because they're giving out more penalties, it is more noticeable when some people get it and other people's do not. Right. Like Aston Martin said exactly and they brought forward the proof in the pudding like they do that man is earning his paycheck yeah he is like their sporting director is he i think i saw on twitter someone say that he got them just from accurately saying hey stewards we should look at this again five points this year
0: wow
2: between jetta and this race here they got them five points across the team
0: I hope Which, he gets a nice little bonus too because that's that's Per awesome. point, yeah. Yeah, per point. <laughs> per point bonus.
2: Uh, but overall, this track as well, it does lean itself more to getting track limits because it's going downhill during a lot of that section. So you're already getting a different angle of view on where the track limits are. You're also going into a number of turns that lead into each other. So starting at turn six, seven, eight, through 9, 10, they all lead into each other one after the other. So you don't Mm -hmm. have the benefit of correcting your car position on the long straights in between some other turns like you would have at other areas of this track or other tracks in general. So you have a wrong positioning going into 6 or at any other point going into 9 or 10 and it -hmm. can affect where you are for 9 and 10 And if you go off track.
0: Totally. The part that makes me grateful Like the the justice part of me is glad to see that if they were going to apply it as harshly as they were going to apply it all weekend, that they did come back around on the tail end and retrospectively review everybody and give it to everybody that deserved it. Because it really irritates me when they only give out penalties that have been called out by other people. And because then it kind of becomes like, well, then are you running this show or are the whistleblowers Mm -hmm. running the show? Who's running the show?
2: True. And again, remember back in the day when teams were able to have more direct contact with the race director and it was worse? (laughs) Oh, do I? How could we ever forget? (laughs) Let's just be glad that that is... uh, It's still wild to me that someone in their mind... Conceived that as being a good idea, like ah yes, let's have a direct line of communication to the person running the show, so you can like talk to them while
0: they're running this show. Like I will say, like mm-hmm. you'll see head coaches and and assistant coaches in American football games talking to the refs and everything during the game. Yes, but so, it's
2: American football has pauses. Half their game is pauses, true. which is why yeah, I do yeah. not watch American football.
1: Can I ask you a question, Christina? absolutely (laughs) you you read off the regulation earlier about and is it all four tires or i i thought if you had you had to have at least two tires on if you hit three tires off it it counts as off track but it's not it's all four
2: yeah Yeah, they'll have they'll be judged to have left the track if no part of the car remains in contact with it
1: so you could have three tires off and still be okay
2: Exactly. Yes. As long as you are over or touching the line, you're good. Since we're going over like the very nitpicky pedantic stuff, important to note that the number of lap times deleted for this track are going to be a lot higher than the number of track limits noted. And that's because if you go off at turn 10, it deletes your current lap as well as your following lap because the start finish line is like right there. So your approach out of 10 affects your approach into the next lap. So that's why those two numbers are drastically different. Don't pay attention to the number of lap times deleted. Pay attention to the number of track limits. They're two different things.
1: When you start playing the game, you're going to get frustrated by that because as you come out of the final corner, it's going to tell you that the next lap is deleted. So you're just going to hit reset. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but the last thing i had for the formation lap was basically also just pointing out that alex alban and this is something directly that he said was that the wind was coming from 360 degrees so half the time it wasn't necessarily that a driver lost control of their car or didn't have it in a good position approaching those c- corners it was that the wind gives you that slight little push mm. and you lose the rear and all of a sudden, you're, you're getting track yeah. limits. So that's understandably why it's probably also very frustrating for the drivers because there's only so much control that they do have, have over the cars. They have the majority of the control, but every once in a while, yeah, the wind just is what it is. And you lose those couple of centimeters that would keep you on track. Mm. Can't imagine how frustrating it is.
0: That's totally what (laughs) happened to the guy on the jetpack. That's totally what happened to him. The wind hit him and it sent him careening into the track. But that's that's a quick and somewhat
2: long-winded and tangential look at the track limits! (laughs) Oh my goodness. And yes, they're looking into adding things like a curb and gravel traps on the outside of this turn, but there's a number of reasons why those things won't work, primarily because it's used by other series like MotoGP. And MotoGP does not like using gravel traps for obvious reasons. Throwing a car and throwing a person into a gravel trap are
1: very different
0: things. (laughs) So I want to still talk about the Austrian Grand Prix and also talk about a little bit of the history of the track, but we're going to split today's Grand Prix segment into two parts. The first part will be the history. The second part, we'll talk about some of the current events that happened this weekend that did not get as much of a highlight as some of the events that happened on track. So... The track itself was created and built in 1955, but it did not really return to Formula 1 or didn't really host Formula 1 until 1997. That was when it was called the A1 Ring, thanks to its funding from a telecommunications company. It was designed by Herman Tilke at that time. They made a bunch of changes to the track layout to make it accommodate Formula 1 pretty well. And it was his first major commission, believe it or not. So... Few of the fast sweeping corners were kept from the much shorter circuit. They actually extended it made a little bit longer. Um, but it's always been fast. I will say, though, it uh, was removed from the calendar in 2004 because of Austria's support for anti-tobacco legislation in the EU. And Ooh. so um, the gentleman who passed away last year over the U.S. Grand Prix weekend, Dietrich Matisic, I believe is how Matisich. you say his last name. Matisic. Dietrich Matisic, the founder of Red Bull, the Circuit, which is how we now know it today as Red Bull Ring, um, and he announced really big development plans, but no sooner had the work gotten underway, they actually demolish the existing pit buildings they were making massive changes and the local authorities showed up and were like mm, environmental problems you can't do this anymore so this was in like 2004 and it took oh them gosh. six no seven years before it was finally able to reopen in 2011 and um because Dietrich Matisic came back with a less ambitious revival of the circuit. I think I've, I think we've all learned with Red Bull. They just like they, they say that the, the, the tagline of Red Bull is Red Bull gives you wings. But actually, I feel like Red Bull is like dream as big as you possibly can and then go bigger. That's just what Red Bull is. Pretty much. So that's, I think, the approach (laughs) that they took to this. And the local authorities were like, no. And so then he persuaded Bernie Ecclestone to sign a new seven-year Formula One hosting contract. And the first race was staged in 2014 and completely sold out. And that is the Red Bull ring as we know it today. So I thought that was pretty interesting as he had recently passed away um, to give him the honor that he deserves. Speaking of losses in the race community, this weekend in Spa, over in Belgium, there was uh, we lost a young teenage driver named Dylan van de Hoff. He was Dutch, and um, he crashed during the second race of the Formula Regional European Championship at Spa. He uh, previously had won the Spanish F4 championship in 2021 and was ranked 15th in the FRECA standings entering into Saturday. And um, according to motorsport.com, the incident began when it actually was a large chain of events. It wasn't, it wasn't like Antoine Hubert's crash with Juan Manuel Correa back in 2019 when they crashed into each other and then Antoine died as a result of his injuries. Um, it was a large, you know, chain reaction a, where the second up. place. Yes. The second place driver, Tim Traminitz, lost control of his Tatus Renault F419 spec car at the top of the Radillon in rainy conditions just after the safety car was deployed. The decompression of that crest is infamous for causing losses of control. And it's why the runoff around Eau Rouge was widened. The crash traveled down the pack, causing several cars to lose control and to get destroyed. Von Tehoff, uh lost control of his car in the chaos and ended up stationary at the very beginning of the Camel Strait. And then he was hit at a high-speed T-bone-style crash. And so the style of the crash was similar to what happened uh, to Hubert in 2019, but the events that led to it were a bit different because of the pileup. What was similar were the racing conditions. It was extremely wet. It was raining like crazy. And... With now the second death in, what, four years? At the same track, I pose the question to you guys because a lot of the drivers came forward saying, we asked for safety changes after what happened to Antoine. And clearly, it's not enough. Um, Do you guys think that spa will remain on the calendar with all of the modern technologies that we have, all the access that we have to creating things safe? and we're still losing people, do you think it'll stay on the calendar?
2: I think it will stay on the calendar, but it's honestly them racing in wet conditions consistently. We also had F1 there last year or two years ago where you had Norris also have his big shunt after Seb was on the radio saying we should not be racing in these conditions. And they still did it. So at this point, I don't think it's a problem so much with the track itself. It's just who the heck is running this track, who the Mm -hmm. heck has kept making these judgment calls to allow people to race like, yes, improve safety features around that corner. Yes, take a look and see if you can improve anything of Eau Rouge going into Radion and going into the Kimmel Strait, like that whole first segment there can be very sketchy and yeah do what you can to improve there do what you can to improve the side impact structures because this is twice already like even before hearing about the accident I kind of was like he definitely got broadsided he definitely got Mm -hmm. t-boned if this is anytime you hear the serious accidents in f1 or in any of those single seater cars my gut is always going to be that it's from a side impact because Mm -hmm. that's where the car's weakest point is. So we already have a handful of these places where safety-wise, you should be doing better. I don't think that it's a, like, I don't think it's a problem necessarily of, oh, we need to remove this track from the calendar. But as it is now, you should not be racing in any wet conditions at all. Like, they need to make some much more firm rules of racing at that track in the wet conditions because they, whoever's been making those calls, obviously can't whether that's the same person, whether that's different people, but the data that's coming into their booth to make those decisions, absolutely Mm -hmm. horrendous. Like something obviously has to change. And what that is, who knows, but something needs to change. And I will say this is one rule that I will die on this hill, that it is something that they should have, is a challenge rule where X percentage of drivers Mm. that are on the track say, these are unsafe conditions and we want a red flag, regardless of what race control thinks race is done the session is mm-hmm. done because they're if the I people that are on that's
0: how things used to be isn't that how things
2: used to be i if it was they should bring that back because the drivers yeah. want to race they're not going to say i don't want to race if 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 they genuinely don't feel safe
0: it oh gets... absolutely and i think that they tried to do that was it last year when there were bombs going off like 20 kilometers away from the track and all the drivers tried to petition to not race. And they said, too bad you're racing anyway. I mean, I think that you should give them a voice and the team's a voice to be able to say this as unsafe. It's their lives. It's their safety. Mm -hmm. And the swing vote since there's, yeah, since there's 20 of them, the swing vote should be the safety car driver. Mm
2: -hmm. I
1: was looking up some information about driver deaths. So in open wheel racing spa has been the last two deaths in formula open wheel racing yeah and since uh going back to the Jules? that's 2014 there was a u.s driver jim victor who died in a open wheel formula continental practice session uh in 2018 mm. um his he had a suspension failure and uh, resulted in a a barrier impact Jeff Green an American in 2018 uh, alone and that was vintage automobile racing association of Canada so mm-hmm. I don't know if that necessarily counts because that's a vintage car um, and then you go all the way back to uh, Jules in 2014 yeah. uh, in France
0: yeah oh, no mm-hmm. I'm sorry Suzuka no, that was in Suzuka. Japan Suzuka, yeah. Yeah.
1: Japan that's the recovery vehicle that that Gasly talks about yeah so I I if SPA has been the only place this happens, I think SPA gets dropped from the calendar. If it does, it's more PR because it isn't the track as much as what Christina's saying, the conditions. Mm-hmm. And I think if they want to make some changes, they take a year or two years off, take SPA off the calendar, and it is insidious as it might sound, to keep the conversation about these incidents out of the, the press every time they go there so that they can make the policy changes so the next time they go back... It's because hey we've taken some time off we've made some changes and things won't be as you remember
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and this is also i would consider spa because of that stretch because of going over that top hill i think also a good compromise would be to say you can only race there after you have x amount of experience because that was also a huge part of the conversation online yesterday on twitter across the weekend was just these are young drivers who are very inexperienced in open wheel, like in their single seaters. Most of them would have recently graduated from being in carts to being in open wheel. Like this was Freca is, is equivalent to what F four or F three.
0: I think that it's either equivalent or slightly ranked a bit above because it said he won the Spanish F four championship in twenty twenty one. So it's 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 in that it's in that range. That that could also be part of the compromise. Totally. And that concludes our Grand Prix segment of this week's episode. And please, if you feel so called, send out your thoughts and prayers to Dylan O'Van de Hoff's family and friends. Um, I cannot imagine going through that kind of pain.
1: So uh, today we're going to have a little discussion about The ebb and flow of motorsport in the Zeitgeist. And Christina living in Canada probably has a different Zeitgeist than we do. What's a Zeitgeist? Okay. In the eighteenth and nineteenth century German philosophy, a Zeitgeist is the spirit of the age, a invisible agent or force dominating the characteristics of a time period or cultural cultural wave.
0: Okay. Trying to think what like what would it be today? What would what would be our Zeitgeist? Well,
1: the Zeitgeist is the the vessel in which various things exist. I would I'd say so. Right now, like motorsport is becoming this more and more popular thing in our culture, and it, what I noticed is that historically it has this up and down. Let's just use Hollywood because right now that's big. We recently post a story on our instagram about how margot robbie and
0: ryan gosling
1: ryan gosling
0: who is canadian barbie and ken canada for the win barbie and ken are going to monaco
1: they're slated to go to monaco (laughs) and uh star in a oceans 11 prequel type situation but hollywood is a good barometer for what is popular in our culture and about every 10 years we see a motorsport movie you've got days of thunder in 1990 then you had driven with sylvester stallone around 2010
0: talladega nights
1: i i wasn't counting that one <laughs> i wasn't counting comedies when i looked
0: i'm kidding
1: but uh then you had rush and then also ford versus ferrari which actually break that 10-year yeah, cycle
0: loved that a one. little bit
1: so but but we see that various times we see a rise in it i'm not counting fast and furious as much as i love that franchise i don't think that that is that, its that, own thing <laughs> we've never we've never seen a consistent huge long standing popularity within pop culture and stuff for racing i think kevin james even had a tv show recently that lasted not very long and it was about like nascar racing looking at some statistics in just the the us and somewhat global in F- formula 1 in the us has seen a 28% increase in U.S. TV viewership uh, last year, a 36% increase in attendance in 2022 globally. Then you got NASCAR ratings last year have been the highest they were in the previous four years. NASCAR did have a extremely tough struggle after the 2008 housing crash. And people basically just weren't going to races. And I think in 2014, they were still struggling. But today, if you look on TV, NASCAR feels hot. You've got Jensen Button.
0: The Chicago race was last weekend was like yeah. All, everywhere.
1: Yeah, that that was, a, people were loving that. And so we're seeing things like NASCAR showing up at Le Mans, doing Monaco or Baku style street circuits in Chicago, Raikkonen, yeah. Button, um, who else? There's a oh Grosjean's in IndyCar. Speaking of Indy, 2021 saw a 19% increase in viewership numbers. Last year, five percent increase, and at some races in the in you know around the country, a double-digit attendance increase. So over 100% wow. more people going to IndyCar races. So all this to say, as members of a fandom community. Are we seeing or feeling that there's a motorsport renaissance happening now that breaks outside that ten year cycle we may have seen previously?
0: I think this is a big question that's been tossed around a lot this season, and it kind of like leans a little bit to like have we are we at the pinnacle? Are we at the top can we can we go up from here kind of question I think. Yes, being an American and walking around in day-to-day life and talking to people that are my friends outside of Formula One, until everybody knows about it, it can always go up. Mm -hmm. And there are way too many Americans that don't know about it. And so I think absolutely. And most of the people – and I grew up just down the street from a NASCAR track. And like I still I still didn't go to all the races all the time, and there is a definite interest that people just aren't leaning into it, and so yes, I think I think that we're in a golden age of it, but I also think that it can still go up
2: mm-hmm. i I agree. I think that we're pretty much at a peak though of intensity, like of how true invested people are in to Formula One. I do think that's the peak of just like. I will wake up at 3 a.m. to watch this. I will watch all the TikToks, all the memes. I'm going to follow all the drivers. I think that we're kind of at that peak of it is the Mm -hmm. thing that people pay attention to in their free time. What I can envision (laughs) happening is that the general interest in it will kind of mellow out. More people will continue to start watching the sport, but it won't feel like this all-consuming presence in the same way. So larger audience, probably. I think that's still going to grow, like Caroline said. But the uh, the intensity of it, I think, could dial down yeah. a little bit. And everyone will kind of just be like, this isn't the new and exciting thing. This is the thing that I've found comfort in and that I continue to enjoy.
0: It won't be shiny and I new in say, the same though, way. I will say, though, potentially, but I will say, because, Buck, you brought up the point of like great racing films coming up every 10 years-ish, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is currently actively filming the movie about form a movie about formula Apex. one. And I think that, yes, I think that that's going to create another surge. I think that we'll see, hmm. cause I think that Ford versus Ferrari created a surge in people of wanting to learn and know more about motorsport. Mm-hmm. And so if he does it right, if he does it right, I think, and hope that we see another surge because it only helps. It only helps us, right? It only helps. True those of us that have the podcasts and the pages and the interest and the research. And mm-hmm. I mean, we like meeting the fans. We like meeting the fans as in other fans of motor of motorsport, like we are and growing the family. Mm-hmm. We are not gatekeepers. Come one, come all.
1: Okay. So <laughs> how can this best in your guys' opinion, how do you think this can best be capitalized and sustained? Because as you saw in Portland uh, a couple weeks ago, there's a shift. In the long term, California is passing a law that you can't sell gas-powered vehicles after 2035. How long until motorsport is affected to where the motorsport's referring to electric motors only? For this momentum you're talking about, how do you think it can be sustained outside of obviously Apex, which I'm not a fan of the title of.
0: No, I hate that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's tough. But um, I to piggyback on your electric vehicle sustainability push, I definitely think that Formula One specifically is already looking in the sustainability direction. They haven't really been quiet about it. And so I think that the interest will remain sustained so long as they can keep it interesting, Um, which is what I think we've seen them working really hard to come up with new ways to keep it interesting uh, with these new sprint race formats. But I personally would like to see interest grow in electric vehicles and for it to become more commonplace even on in our day-to-day life on the roads because I think that that would create further interest in the Formula E's and start to see some electric elements implemented in Formula One because it's kind of a symbiotic thing like when that does well it creates positive research that helps us in day-to-day life which helps our interest to grow in the sport and it just kind of circumvents and i think that that's my answer mm-hmm.
2: i imagine like caroline said f1 is making the big push they want to be carbon neutral by 2030 they had their giant campaign not campaign but they were talking a lot about how austria they were bringing in a whole bunch of new measures that were going to have them using less power and be more efficient and i see that That trend continuing of them saying, Look, all of our infrastructure is going green. I see them pulling similarly to we were talking about Aston Martin last week about how they have a partnership now with Lucid Motors, who only make electric vehicles. So I think that we're going to see the manufacturers as well start to. Have partnerships that maybe aren't directly related to Formula One but that they'll be able to advertise at these Formula One events those cars that you see just on display in the paddock the cars that they use for hot laps the cars that they use to drive the drivers around during the parades I think that we're just gonna get more engrossed in electric vehicles but I do think that they're gonna try Mm -hmm. to keep their engines as whatever is best for the racing If they can get great racing out of hybrid vehicles and still reach those top speeds, fantastic. That's what they're going to do. If the better move is we've developed, because they're developing like their E10 fuel, ethanol 10, and they're looking to have it be completely renewable. We didn't have to dig into the ground to get this fuel. They are making changes. How that's going to reflect in the actual vehicles on track, though, I think is going to look different than it does in the real world because this is about racing, not getting you from point A to point B.
1: So that's all I have for our discussion on um, motorsport in the zeitgeist.
0: Fantastic. And, uh... Well, thank you so much for joining us, Buck. It's always a pleasure to have you with us for the Checkered Flag. Until next time, everyone. Meow. <coughs> <coughs>
2: I took out my recycling yesterday. Yeah. So bad, the number of
0: cans that were in there of Red Bull.
1: I'm legit yeah. worried about you. Like, I don't say it enough. <laughs> I was going to say, but... I'm starting
0: to get a little worried about yeah. you, Christina. I'm not going to lie. Wait, really... I'm genuinely starting to get worried. On the can, it says I can't have more than two per day. I'm not doing that.
2: So we're good.